Today we are finishing a series we've been talking about the uh, having uh, God's perspective, a divine perspective. We've been in Colossians 1, and uh, this year our, our focus text is Colossians, but we're going to finish up the series. We're going to finish up verses 28 and 29, and next week is Easter, and as I've already told you, it's a big day for those of us who believe, and it's a great opportunity to invite those who don't believe. Again, the message is going to start in the prophecy of Daniel, and we're going to show, I'm going to show how these prophecies were perfectly fulfilled, 500 years in the making. It's powerful. And we're going to look at the resurrection and how it was promised and what else Jesus promised. It's going to be great. Now, the following Sunday, we're going to begin a march towards celebrating something I've never celebrated with you, having been your pastor almost 18 years. And it's something I've never celebrated in the 31 years as a born-again believer. You know, every year we celebrate Christmas, which is the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Every year that I can remember, we have celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter. Do you know what we've never celebrated and that I've never celebrated with any other church is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Just a show of hands, I'm curious. How many of you have been in a congregation or been a part of a family of faith where you celebrated regularly Pentecost Sunday. Show of hands. Look how few hands. I have failed you. I will fail you no more. We are going to begin the Sunday after Easter. We're going to begin to do a seven-week study on who the Holy Spirit is and how he works. Now, in the midst of this, we're also beginning to pray for revival. Do you know what that is? Have you ever prayed for something like this? I'm going to go into details. The elders and I are going to go into detail on what this looks like on the Monday night after Easter. And I do want to encourage you who are members and, and leaders in our church to gather with us because we're going to go over the survey. We're going to talk about the next steps we're about to take. And then we're going to go through a, a, a prayer that is a series of things that we're going to be praying for, 17 in all, year after year, week after week. And the things that we're going to be praying for in here, they're going to be praying for in the children's area, student area, college area, small groups, ABFs, all of our service teams, we're going to be praying the same thing throughout the day and the week, praying for revival. And we want to let you know what this means and what it looks like. But today, we're going to continue in this series. We're going to finish this series. And what we've been trying to do is to understand the fact that everyone is answering four fundamental questions. Where am I from? What went wrong? Can anybody fix it? Is there any reason to have hope? Now, everybody in this room has an answer to those four questions. The question is, is it a good answer? Let me just tell you, if it's not a biblical answer, it's not a good answer. See, the Bible reveals to us reality. It answers these four fundamental questions that all human beings ask. The Bible is, is not a collection of stories or sayings. It's a single story with four parts, creation, Fall, rescue, and restoration. Where am I from? God made me. What went wrong? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Can anybody fix it? Jesus Christ, who's come to rescue us. Is there any reason to have hope? Yes. Jesus Christ is coming again, and he's going to make all things new. This world is not my home. Amen? And so this is our hope. And so as we, we think through this story, it's understand that we see everything through the reality of what the Word of God says. 
And it's when we have this divine perspective that we understand who Jesus Christ is. And because Jesus Christ is alive, we have joy. And because we have joy, we have strength. What do we just sing? Because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living because he lives. If you know this today, you have joy. No matter what you're suffering, no matter what you go through, you know that he holds the future. He holds you. That he has been raised, that he is alive, he's alive in you, and you can go through anything because you go through it with him. The one who, whose name the winds and waves still know. Isn't that a beautiful song, that It Is Well song? Love that. What a powerful testimony of the reality of Jesus Christ. And when that is true in your life and you know this and you're experiencing it deep in your soul, there's joy. And when you have the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah 8.10 tells you you have strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, here's what I know. Everybody got up today and, 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 and made some choices. You're going to get up tomorrow, God willing, and you're going to make some choices. And those choices and those decisions and the things you're going to be doing are going to be fueled by hope. The question is, and the thing I want to really get you to think about this morning is, is your hope, and you have hope because you got up today and, and, and you actually put on clothes and, and showed up and did something. That, that requires hope, by the way. Hopelessness is when you just stay in bed and pull over the covers. And, and believe me, I, I know dear saints who have been there, and, and it can happen to you. You've got to be careful. But when you get up and go, you've got hope. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Is my hope a living hope or a dying hope? I've asked you to think about this before. See, a, a dying hope is a hope that's in a created thing. If what gets you going is one day going to be taken away from you, it's a dying hope. But if your hope is in something that can never die, that has already defeated death, that is already reigning and ruling and will last forever, you have a living hope. So what kind of hope do you have? Is it a living hope or is it a dying hope? God is calling us to trust him to acknowledge him, to see and, and, to, and to ascertain the fact that the world is not as it should be. The world is broken. The world is not as it should be. God designed the world to be in perfect harmony, but it's, it's not. It's broken. But the good news, he didn't abandon us. Because of the gospel, we have hope. Friends, hear me. There are people that you work with, that you go to school with, that you hang out with that need this gospel truth. They need you to tell them that. They need you to invite them to come and worship with you and experience this hope. But they need you to explain to them why you have the hope you have. And the best way I know how to do that is with three circles. Now, if you're new here, this may be new to you. If, if you've been here more than a year, you have heard me every time I've preached to say something and show the three circles. I just, I just need to be, I need affirmation this morning, okay? This is a bad sermon, I know it is, so I need some affirmation this morning. How many of you can give testimony that have been here for a year or more that I have shared with you the three circles almost every time I've preached? Show of hands, okay, good, all right. So, take out a pen. Get a piece of paper. And draw three circles for me, please. 
See, what I think happens is most of us come to church thinking what's in it for me. And, and most of us have, have, when I start talking about the three circles, there's something in our brains that say, oh, I got this. I don't need this anymore. I'm not really worried about having to share this with anyone this week. And so uh, I'm going to think about something else until he starts talking about something that interests me and makes me important again. All right, so here are three circles. Can you fill this out for me real quick? I've given, like I was throwing out the words just now. I used every one of them. All right, let's talk about it. What goes here? We're a Baptist church. Stop speaking in tongues. I need to know. (laughs) What goes here? God's design. That's right. What goes here? Brokenness. Very good, Charlie. Thank you. What goes here? Gospel. Good. All right. So when I'm talking to people who need hope, one of the things I typically say is the world is not as it should be. And every sane person says, you're right. Now, there's crazy people that think this is good. I, I get that. But same people say, you're right, the world is broken. Why, how do we know it's broken? Well, because we know God's design was different than what we're experiencing right now. So what causes the brokenness? What goes here? Sin. The gospel is something, because God has entered the world, if we'll repent and believe the gospel, we can pursue and recover God's design. Friends, the world is hungry for this truth. Your friends and family, the people that hang out with you, they need you to explain this. There's people who go to churches regularly that don't preach the gospel, who don't teach the Bible. And and God has has sent you on mission to them to share this truth. And and what you're in essence doing is you are fighting for the faith. And what Paul is saying to the the church at Colossae today is he's saying, fight for the faith. That's what we're seeing here in verses 28 and 29. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Colossians chapter 1. And in Colossians chapter 1, at the conclusion of this chapter, the Apostle Paul is is challenging the people there to to fight for this truth. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Charlie's going to come, and he's going to read these two verses, and I'm going to explain them poorly, but fast, and God is going to use it, I pray. So, Charlie, if you would, read verses 28 and 29 for us. Him we proclaim. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You got to fix that. All right, try again. Say test. Test. Okay, that's good. All right, try it. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You sound like you're talking in tongues. Um, go a little bit slower and, and, and kind of... It's the, the mic is kind of crazy, so kind of like go slow. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. There you go. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Good job, Charlie. Man, I was kind of rough on Charlie, but he plays football so he can take it. (laughs) We got to fight for the faith. And let me tell you, the fight begins in your own heart and mind. Every day you got to do battle for what you believe. Because the world is lying to us. The world is bringing to us a false gospel. Saying that we're good enough and we don't really need God. We can make it happen. We just need to follow our dreams. We just need to do our thing. Everybody else needs to change to accept who we are the way we want to be. And we need to move on. 
We need a reformation, a moral reformation. It's the world's telling us it's a lie. We need to fight for the faith. That's what Paul's saying here to this church at Colossae. It's what Jude said in Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing you to contend, to fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We're going to have to fight to keep our hearts and minds focused in on who Christ is and what he's done. If we don't, let me give you the symptoms of a person who has lost the fight for faith or is losing it. You do not hunger for the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. You do not clearly and boldly share the gospel with lost people because you're not concerned for them. You, you are not working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You assume on it as though it is a get out of hell free card that you plan to present at the day of your judgment and to escape as one who escapes the fire. That's how you can know if you are losing the fight or if you've lost the fight. We must fight for the faith. We must contend in our own hearts and minds, and we must fight and, and to bring it to bear on the realities of our world. And when we do, when that's happening, then here's what we can know. Jesus is at the center of our identity and our purpose. And when Jesus is at the center of our identity and purpose, then there is a joy. And in that joy, there is a strength. So when Jesus is your strength, there are three things you're going to be compelled to do that we see in our text today. And the first one is this. When Jesus is our strength, we are compelled to proclaim Christ rightly. Look what it says. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. It is Him we proclaim. Not our ideas and opinions. Not our feelings and inclinations. Not our preferences and systems. I want you to imagine, if you can, a few years from now, on a Sunday that you drive past this building and all the entranceways are barred off with a gate. And there are no cars in the parking lot. And this building is completely empty. And there is no longer a Living Hope Baptist Church in the city of Bowling Green because it's died. Would that be a nightmare to you? Can I tell you I'm living that nightmare a little bit right now? When I came to be your pastor 18 years ago, I came from a church that on average was seeing 4,500 people gather for worship on any given weekend. We typically saw well over 500 people baptized in a single year. We were in a revival. The Christmas before last, I went to the last service that was held in that building. For the last almost 17 months, that building, 1,600 seats, 178 acres have sat empty. The entranceway is gated off, and that church no longer exists. Last week, I was, uh, went to a church and, and went to a, a 
kind of a sacred space to me. I made Asher go with me. And he had to walk down memory lane with me. Have you ever had to walk down memory lane with your dad or grandfather or something? Show of hands. Yeah, Asher kind of looked like y'all. Oh, good grief. But it's funny, I, I went to this place where um, the leadership that once, that was in charge the last time that that church met, where they're now meeting. And uh, th they call themselves a new reformation. And my son Asher said, Dad, what happened? Let me tell you what happened. There's three things that happened that caused that church to die. One, they stopped believing in biblical authority. Two, they stopped believing in and preaching the gospel. Three, they stopped depending upon the power of the Holy Spirit. They have publicly now said, those leaders, that the Bible is a word from man about God. It's not God's word. It's man's word about God. There's no authority. They are now saying that what the gospel really means is that we're all really good people and we all just need to deal with that fact that we're good and this is as good as it gets. And that God came to the world to tell us how good we are. They actually said that in the sermon where I was at the last gathering of that place. And they are not dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. What they believe is that because we're good enough, we just need to do some good stuff in the world. Now, I'm for doing good stuff in the world, but I want to tell you something. Me going and, 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 and doing something nice for somebody is not going to change their soul. Their soul will have to give an account to God, just like mine will, just like yours will. And we're doing no one favors by lying to them and telling them that it is well with them when it's not. Friends, we could very easily die as a church. And friends, that's why we're calling, the elders are calling the church to prayer. Because we're in a very serious condition. We are not hungering for the word. We're not hungering for a work of the spirit. We're not weeping tears for lost people. We're not sharing our faith. We can miss many Sundays and not worship and not be a bit concerned about it. Friends, that's no way to fight for your soul. That's no way to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. No, no, what, is, what, is, what does the word say here? In him we proclaim warning everyone. This word warning, it comes from two words, noose and tithemi. The word noose is brain. Tithemi means to place a burden upon. When you're warning someone, you're putting a burden on someone's brain. You ever have someone say, or have you ever said, I've got something on my mind, or this is heavy on my mind? That is a warning on your mind. We are commanded by God to warn people about the coming of the judgment of God and that every person will give an account the day they die or the day Jesus returns. Are you warning anybody? Or are you just assuming they already know? Are you more concerned about what they're gonna think of you than you are about what God thinks of them? Most of us are. Now we've got to warn 
and, but look what he says here, teaching everyone with all wisdom. We've got to be so careful about this because there is in our culture a caricature of Christians that we're a bunch of mean-spirited bigots. And, and nothing could be farther from the truth if we are indeed becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. There's no one who ever loved more than Jesus Christ. And if Christ is alive in us, then his love is in us. And that love is, is being made manifest through the way we care for the integrity of all humanity and the way we share the truth of what God has revealed. We've got to be wise. Is it wise for a guy to wear a sign that says, Jesus is coming back and you're probably going to hell? I don't know. It didn't help me. There's a, um, how many of you have ever been 65 North on Montgomery? And you look over and there's a sign that says, it's got a caricature picture of the devil. It says, go to church or the devil's going to get you. How many of y'all have seen that sign? Yeah. See, the world looks at that and laughs. I know I would have. See, we've got, to, we've got to be wise in how we warn. We have to be students of the scripture to be able to make a serious, a serious call to them to believe. But if we're not hungry for the word ourselves, if we are not being transformed by the spirit of God, if we are not concerned about what's happening in other people's lives, then why would they think that we care and why would they even care about something we don't care about? We need to be revived. We need revival. Second thing, when Jesus is our strength, we are compelled to pursue Christ holistically. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Would you say you're a mature Christian? See, a lot of people don't even know what that term means. Looking at our survey, there's many who don't know what this means. Maturity in Christ is holistic. I'm gonna give you three words and understand these three things work together. Head, heart, hands. A mature Christian is impacted head, heart, hands. There's a lot of people who think they're mature because they have information about God. Can I tell you, the devil knows the Bible better than anybody in this room, and he is not right with God. He's not a mature Christian because he doesn't have a heart for God. See, if you have all these facts about information about God, but it does not compel you to love God and love people and then to serve them by sharing the hope that you have, you're not a mature Christian. So let me, let me say it in real uncomfortable for me to say it to you terms. If you're not hungry for the word of God, you're not a mature Christian. If you're not praying for and sharing your faith with lost people, you're not a mature Christian. If you're not giving a tithe and serving the church family, you're not a mature Christian. If you're not weeping for the lost souls around you. You're not a mature Christian. And God says in his word, we're to present them mature. Friends, we can't present anyone mature if we're not mature. We need revival. We need to grow up. We must mature. There is a battle. We've got to fight or we are going to die. I know most of you don't believe that because you know that we're pretty smart and we could probably figure out a way to stay alive and manipulate enough people to stick around. That is not what God intended for his church. 
Friends, we must pursue Christ holistically, head, heart, hands, pursuing him. And third, when, when, Christ, when Jesus is our strength, we are compelled to partner with Christ responsibly. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Paul understood his responsibility, but he also understood that he couldn't do it. That it would have to be the energy of God as he is powerfully, explosively, that word is, working within me. This picture reminds me of how God's energy that he powerfully works within us, how it operates. Whenever I think about the, the power of God at work in a person's life, this picture comes to my mind. So we're the church, we're her. Look how serious her little eyes are. Look at her sweet little hands holding on. Look at her wanting to work in conjunction with her grandfather. But let's make no mistake about it. Who's doing all the work? Friends, God does not need our money and he doesn't need us. But you know what? He wants us. He wants us to join him in what he's doing. Why? Simply because he loves us and he wants us to be with him. Look at the gaze of the grandfather. He's pleased, isn't he? You know why he's pleased? It's because she's not running around the, the boat like a spoiled brat telling him everything that she wants to do. Because she's not throwing a fit. Because she's saying, I love you. I trust you. I want to join you. My head is focused. My heart is with you. My hands are ready to do the work. Is that you? See, this is the gaze of the Father on those who are saying, Yes, Lord. Change my mind. Move my heart. Take my hands. Use them for your work. Does that describe what you want? Friends, if not, we're going to lose the fight. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose the fight. I want to see Living Hope revived. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take a willingness for us to change the way we live and think and love. Will we do it? Time will tell. We are beginning to pray for revival now. This week we have an opportunity to join in the fight in inviting lost people to come and know and love Jesus. Bigger than that, friends, we need to pray for revival. And I want to ask you to do that now. Come and pray. Let's stand together. Father, um, we can't save ourselves. And Lord, we are deceived. We think that we can live without your word. We think we can live without your spirit. We think that we can live and please you without sharing our faith or making disciples. Oh God, would you rouse us from our sleep? Would you allow the horn to blow and the army to rise and the children to join the Father in the work in the field? Would you call us and enable us by your Holy Spirit to be deeply concerned about our neighbors and city? 
but more than that, to be concerned about our own soul and, and, and ask you to revive us. Lord, we, are, we need to be revived. Would you hear the prayers of those who would come now and say, revive us, God. We need you. We must become less. You must become more. Revive us. Christ, you came to bring new life. Bring that life and move your people now to repent on bended knee, asking for a miracle.